This podcast is sponsored by Australian Christian College, a network of schools committed to student wellbeing, character development and academic improvement. Welcome to the Inspiration Project, where well-known Christians share their stories to inspire young people in their faith and life. Here's your host, Brendan Corr. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Inspiration Project podcast. Delighted to welcome Wendy Simpson as our special guest this morning. Wendy has a a glowing career in terms of business uh, that spans a number of industries, most of them not necessarily well associated with uh, traditional female stereotypical roles. Uh, Wendy has taken senior roles and occupied leadership positions in uh, freight, in telecommunications, in engineering, in property development. She was one of the first women to run TNT, the International Global Freight uh, Company, Uh, moved into Alcatel, one of the giant communication organisations. She's been an advisor to government, uh, serving as Victoria's trade commissioner to North Asia for a period of time, moved into property development uh, with with her family and is a a person of strong personal Christian faith, being involved in the organising of Sydney's Prayer Breakfast, the annual gathering of business and community leaders to pray. Received the Order of Australia Medal in 2013, has been nominated to the Australian Businesswoman's Hall of Fame and has been listed as 100 Women of Influence by the Australian Financial Review. Wendy, that is quite a resume that we've been able to run through and it's only just touching some of the highlights. Uh, thank you for giving us your time today. Can I, can I start by asking, uh, when did you realise that the world of business was something that was calling you? Yes, well, look, it's a very uh, a very deliberate decision, actually, a very thoughtful one. So uh, I grew up in a Christian family and uh, uh, my parents, uh, went to the Billy Graham Crusade and they were churchgoers that really became more passionate about their faith uh, as a result of the Billy Graham Crusade. And so um, I've always been a Christian. I've always known that God has a plan for my life. Um, but uh, I also grew up in the era when uh, there was uh, the feminist movement and uh, there was uh, a lot of uh, literature around and uh, Helen Reddy sang the, the song I Am Woman. So uh, I used to read my Bible uh, side by side to Jermaine uh, Greer's book, um, The Female Eunuch, uh, and I started to ask the question, where are these discussions being held? Who, who are the people who are willing to discuss what the feminist movement is trying to do? And is there anything in the Bible that would suggest that God has a plan for women? So I, I started to really wrestle with that uh, question when I was in uh, year 11 and 12. And at that time, um, Christian women were either school teachers or nurses or secretaries. They were the, really the three uh, roles that um, were considered to be honourable for Christian women uh, until they, they got married and had babies. So um, I thought, well, uh, what am I going to do about that? So I started to pray about it and I came from an extremely humble background. I needed a scholarship to go to university if I was going to go to university. 
and the uh, education department were offering scholarships. So I first of all uh, applied for that and got a scholarship, which meant that I was then uh, uh, bonded to become a teacher at the end of my university time. So, so uh, I, I had thought that there should be more choices for women, mm. but the reality was that the Christian environment that I was in at the time didn't really showcase those. I did not know any business people mm. of any kind. We were as I said, a very humble family. We only ever knew factory workers and uh, labourers, and so I didn't know any business people. But so where did your me, where, yeah where did your dream come from to to not just yeah there was there was there was just something inside me that said you know I think it was probably it said like by reading the Bible about God saying that He made us in His image but also there was a lot of material out there uh, sadly more powerfully from the women's movement than from the Christian community saying women you this is your time you've got to do something you've got talent you've got more than uh, just a narrow span of talent. You've got a lot of talent and you mm. need to find it and you need to use it. So um, so I was reading both lots of material. Mm. And, was, was that something that I your parents were happy about, Wendy? Were, were they happy with you dipping into the female eunuch and and uh, dancing with these um, dangerous well, ideas? Well, well, <laughs> well, unfortunately at that stage my father was seriously ill and was in hospital on a life support machine and oh. my mother was pretty much focused on that. So I was pretty much left to to my own devices mm. to, to read this material and I said that the, the uh, youth group weren't discussing it, so, mm. uh, but we were discussing it at school in mm. our social studies and English classes. Mm. And, it, and it didn't make you, it didn't lead you to question the, um, the your own faith if you didn't see an incompatibility or say, well, if there is these attractive ideas and they don't align with what I'm hearing through my sermons or through my, my Bible study group, there wasn't a, a temptation to forsake one and follow the other? Well, I've got to tell you that one of the other interesting groups, um, I grew up in Melbourne and the Women's Christian Temperance Union were very, uh, very politically active around the time of the vote for women. And I had been reading their materials. Uh, my grandmother had been in the Women's Christian Temperance Union, so she mm. used to send me these um, booklets. And uh, Frances Willard was uh, an absolute pioneer, a champion. In fact, there's a statue of her in uh, in, in Washington on Capitol Hill, and, and she's, I think, the only woman mm. that's actually inside the dome there. Um, so I knew that Christian women had led the charge with the Votes for Women in Australia. Mm. I knew that Christian women had uh, been politically active and done some quite crazy things like having prayer meetings out the front of um, hotels yeah. uh, to suggest that um, people needed to look after their families and not just get drunk. So I knew that there w- it was possible for yeah. women to be politically active and social uh, um, change agents um, I knew that, mm. uh, but I I just didn't see it in my own church. But I didn't want to give up on that dream yeah. that I could be someone who changed uh, society. And I guess you mentioned earlier that your your own parents shifted from being passive believers to having a, a, a vibrancy of their faith. That must have been true for you also, that there was some truth in your faith experience that you couldn't deny even if it was 
Uh, it needed to be expressed in a, in a way that was not typical of the Christian church at the time. Yes. Well, look, another thing that's very interesting is uh, I, I whether your listeners uh, have followed the life journey of John Smith of the God Squad. Yes. Um, but when I was in year 10, um, he was just starting to uh, move away and there was the Sunbury Pop Festival yes. and there was all these uh, festivals that were starting and the hippie movement. And so um, we invited him. I was the uh, leading our Christian fellowship in our uh, government high school. It was a government high school, 1,200 kids. And at that stage, um, there was only 20 of us who were Christians in yeah. the school that were prepared to come and do a Bible study. I'm sure there were other Christians, but they just didn't want to identify with mm. Christianity wasn't very cool. Mm. Uh, but then when this Jesus movement happened mm. and John Smith uh, started the God Squad, and um, I grew up in a working class area where a lot of young people thought that joining a bikey gang would be pretty exciting. Mm. So we had, we had this evangelist who was talking about God, mm. and he was reaching out to bikies, and so all of all of the uh, cool cats in the school wanted to come and hear this God, yeah, right, God fellow. So um, we started to have assemblies, um, and there was this little mini revival yeah. in our school in wow. uh, in year in my year eleven, where um, uh, that suddenly we had two hundred kids coming to the Bible study, and my it was, goodness, it was it was fresh and it was real and we were wrestling with big issues and we weren't just, it wasn't like Sunday school at school. It was, yeah. We were wrestling with the topics that we were doing in school in our, through a theological lens. We didn't call it a theological lens because we were actually in year 11 and 12, but you know, we were wrestling with big issues Yeah, and the whole of society was wrestling with issues and, and so we were too and there was a Scripture Union had um, Theo's movement, Theo's Son was being written, and there was another magazine called On Being. So we were yes. reading all this material and then liberation theology. So all of that was uh, forming me mm. um, uh, for uh, quite a number of years. And so that sort of took me into social justice and activism and political thinking. Um, and generally speaking, those Christians were quite, they saw business as sort of the dark side. They saw yes. it as, you know, dirty, money-grabbing commercial people. So uh, so again, um, I still hadn't met any business people because all of that milieu of the people, the social activists, the, the theologians, the, uh, the radical Christians weren't business people. None no. of them were business people no. at all and take despised business people often. So, um, Yeah, I was going to ask so you about I, that. Uh, my, We'll come back in in the conversation as to how you reconcile that radical beginning of your faith and your journey into into life uh, in the community, yes. and and now many people would say part of the establishment rather than part of the, the radicalism. But you, you got your scholarship. You're telling about a scholarship to teaching. Uh, and yes, I got a scholarship to study at RMIT, and I studied uh, a business information system. Um, which was the forerunner to the internet. Right. And I was the only person at the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology that was on a, a, a teaching scholarship. Everybody else was uh, at the traditional uh, universities. Um, so I was in this pioneering course and I just, it just fascinated me. I thought, oh, this would be interesting. I, I wonder if they'd let me do my teaching scholarship 
um, here rather than where everyone else was doing it. And they said, oh, yes, you can do that. So, so I did. How intriguing because that, that's not, as you say at the time, quite unusual for you not just to go down yes. the regular path of doing your education. and, and uh, So you, you're dibbling into this um, business systems, business uh, yes. information systems. And yes. what was the next step for you after that, that into the business world? Yes. So, um, so the really the, the, the uh, my husband started to do an MBA and we were living in a virtual Christian community. So, um, we had shared possessions and we were part of script union, sort of the radical edge of that. Mm. And we had a, an outreach program for homeless youth. And we started the youth homelessness program, the first government funded community based youth homelessness program in Australia. And uh, so we were doing all that. Uh, and I was 24, uh, and we were um, just uh, really uh, doing so many things, integrating our faith, reading a lot of liberation theology about uh, Christ's call to the poor. Mm. And he decided to do an MBA because his um, his work, he, he's a metallurgical engineer making pet food cans in the local uh, factory in Melbourne, but uh, they said, oh, you should think about doing an MBA, so he did. And uh, I would read some of his textbooks, and I thought, that's interesting. Mm. I, I, I wouldn't mind uh, um, just understanding a bit more about the business world. And again, we still didn't know really any business people. Mm. And so um, uh, the local newspaper had an advertisement for business and professional women. It was the first time that Rotary had ever sent a group of business and professional women uh, on a business exchange. And I looked at it, and I thought, oh, I think I should just try that. Why don't I try? And um, at that stage, I was running a school for juvenile delinquents. So I had a red mohawk and I rode a motorcycle. And I thought, well, I could just try that anyway. <laughs> so um, that was uh, quite, quite different. So I was the outlying candidate. There was um, a banker. There was a town planner. There was a medical practitioner, there was a TV producer and myself and a few other candidates. And, uh, and in the end, uh, I was selected and I went with the, the medical practitioner and the town planner and the banker, um, investment banker, and we all went to Connecticut. Wow. And that was the first time I actually met business people because we were put into homes and we were billeted and we were away for eight weeks. And so each week we would move to a new family. And uh, so at that stage I was uh, running the school for juvenile delinquents and I was on a very low wage. Um, it was, uh, was $36,000 and I was staying with people who were had million-dollar houses mm. and they were the CEOs of major corporations in America. Mm. Uh, we are in Connecticut, which uh, at that stage was the highest per capita income in the US. So, you know, lavish homes, huge homes. And uh, a lot of the people we stayed with had uh, older teenage children and they would uh, come in and make a fuss about the fact that the uh, coffee maker hadn't made their coffee and this and that. And, uh, and I said to them, you know, you've really got to get some perspective here. <laughs> the world doesn't fall apart if the coffee maker hasn't made your coffee on time. And I guess people said to me, there's such a refreshing insight that you have you, mm. you've got people skills you've got insights they're different to us mm. um, and then when you know I met these people and I worked out what they were doing 
and what I was doing. And I thought to myself, they could actually do a lot more if they had the spiritual insights and the drive that I have. They could do a lot more. They don't realize how privileged they are. Mm. And and then um, I suppose after the eight weeks, I realized that I could probably do what they were doing. Mm. And I came home from this uh, trip to Connecticut uh, and I said to my husband, you know, if I really wanted to, I could become a senior executive in a global corporation. And he said, well, why don't you just try it? I said, I suppose I could. <laughs> so that, that's so intriguing really, to me, no. Wendy. You, you had r- right back at that stage, you're running this juvenile school for juvenile delinquents and, and very modest yes. lifestyle and caught a little yes. glimpse of, of what would like the complete opposite of that and, yes. and believed in your heart that you had what it took to make that happen. Yes. Yes, I absolutely. Yes. Let me because ask you, I could see, did, you know, how did the Connecticut people, Connecticut people, welcome you with your your red mohawk and your alternate views? <laughs> Were, was that um, uncomfortable at, at any stage? Um, well, uh, I guess they uh, they they were asked, you know, to um, to select the. This was this was radical for the, the Rotary Club because uh, at that stage um, in Australia, women weren't allowed to be members of Rotary. Mm. In America, they were. And um, so, yes, I, I think they did have a bit of trouble finding billets for us all. I mm. don't know whether I was more of a challenge than most, but uh, um, I think, you know, from a, my, I mean, they gave out our CV mm. and uh, they could see that I was a person who was um, dedicated and mm. sincere and hardworking. So I guess they didn't think I was going to create any trouble. Mm. So <laughs> Except that when we went to New York, uh, we did go into New York one day, and I said, I need to go to the Bronx. I absolutely must go to the Bronx. And they looked at me, horrified, and said, we've never been to the Bronx. It's very <laughs> dangerous. You shouldn't go. And I go, oh, no, I'm sure they're wonderful people. I really want, I mean, I could not go back to Australia without going to the Bronx. Um, so I did, and I had a fabulous time. And I said to these people, look, they're all right. Those mm. people are safe. It's yeah. okay. <laughs> yeah. So you, you're speaking there. You mentioned people skills. And clearly you had, even at that stage, something that – that allowed you to understand or connect with people in in a way, regardless of whether they are from the upper echelons of society or were finding life a little tougher. Um, this was yes. a pivotal moment for you. Yes. This uh, this trip to America, you came home and felt it was absolutely pivotal. Yes, yes, yes. I, I mean, it took me way out of my comfort zone, and I was really wrestling with the fact that that generally speaking, my my stream of Christianity thought that business people were really. Um, just money grabbing people that really didn't have much faith, and actually the people that I say with didn't have faith. But mm. I, there's just something about my time that I thought that I could be different. I could mm. do both. I could bring my deep spiritual passion and a business approach to things. I could mm. do both. I'm sure. So next steps in Australia, you, you catch a glimpse of a possibility. How how do you then turn yes. that that idea into a career? Yes. So obviously education. And so I uh, enrolled in a journalism degree um, just to focus my thinking and being able to express myself. And and I could see that um, journalism is also very influencing ideas and Mm. I knew that was important. Um, So uh, I moved from the School for Juvenile Delinquents to uh, the mission of St. James and St. John 
and worked in the public affairs area. And from there, then I was uh, recruited into the Royal Melbourne Show to be the marketing manager, um, which was uh, just was just show business and agriculture and government, a very interesting mishmash of people, quite quite some eccentric personalities to say the least. And then from there, I was recruited into being an advisor to Joan Kerner uh, and helped to set up the Department of Small Business and. One of the things that happened at that stage was Telstra was wanting to move its, its Australian global headquarters from Melbourne uh, to Sydney and they came to the Victorian government and said, um, we'd like to start some business awards. At that stage, there was uh, the Bulletin, was a magazine that had um, business awards for the large business, so there was nothing for small business. But they said, we'd like to start these and a lot of uh, people uh, a lot of ministers and Joan Kerner, the Premier and others said, look, this is just, uh, um, they're just trying to buy us off because they're moving the headquarters out of Melbourne. And I said, look, that could be true. Mm. Um, and the, the reality is whether we do these awards or whether we don't, they're probably, because they, they're a, they were semi-government authority and they could move if they wanted to. They, they, mm. So why don't we just have a look at it? Why don't we just have a go and see whether we could do it? And so, really, uh, I was the, the person who was the brains behind the Telstra Business Awards that wow. uh, started, um, which have been going for more than twenty years now. And that was again just, just, just saying, well, yes, it could go wrong, but it also could go right. Yeah. And and giving comfort. And I, I just felt the Lord saying that um, the business community needed encouragement, and I was in a position to say yes or no, and I. I didn't take the the easy way out, which was no. to say, oh, yes, that's all too hard. No one's done yes. it before. How do we know it's going to work? I said, well, you know, let's give it a try. Yes. So um, we did. So you, um, a, a lot um, of the stories you've been telling us, Wendy, have spoken to a capacity that you've had to step into risk, to lay it on the line, move out of your comfort zone, as you say, uh, try something yes. that's never been done before, try something that's not expected. Yes. What, is that something that is part of your personality? Has your faith assisted you in taking those bold, adventurous moves in life? Yeah, well, look, I'd, I'd say my family are, are pretty risk averse. I'm, I'm the most out there one in the family. So uh, it's not something, um, you know, I'm not the profile. If you speak to any of the leading businessmen in Australia, their father was a high court judge, their mother was. Mm. You know, a paediatric surgeon. Um, their dad was, um, you know, a corporation executive. So my dad's uh, job was to hook railway trains together. Mm. Uh, and and uh, so, and my mum, uh, when he got sick, was really looking after him. Um, so uh, I, I don't have the profile uh, of a normal, you know, career executive. So I have to, I have to absolutely say it's all to do with God. And mm. I use Ephesians three twenty that God is able to do far more than we ask or imagine. Um, mm. So I really uh, spend a lot of time in that verse mm. and uh, I, you know, I open myself up to the possibilities that, that God's looking for people. Mm. He wants to use people to do amazing things and mm. if we're available, uh, he'll, he'll guide us. Here am I, send me. That, yes. Yeah. What were your Christian friends and Christian church people thinking as you were making these big changes and, and becoming somebody that, on the surface at least, might be quite different from the red mohawked activist? Yes. 
Well, that's right. Look, um, uh, a lot of my friends in the Christian um, radical action community thought that I was um, moving to the dark side and they just couldn't understand why I would do that. They were very disappointed in me mm. and said that uh, I was really betraying what we all stood for. And so that was hard. And I could have just said, well, yes, you're right. That's, you know, that's, that's, I need to say where I am. But there was, there was something inside me that said, no, um, God needs um, passionate Christian business leaders. So, so I kept going. Mm. Um, that meant that uh, I really did feel alone because mm. there were very few passionate business people that I knew. And if there were a few, they tended to be overseas and they also tended to be men. Mm. And so I didn't know any other passionate Christian businesswomen mm. at all. Um, so I, I really had to uh, had to just pray. And I said that the, the, these women that were part of the uh, Women's Christian Temperance Union were, were, were educated, were smart. Uh, Frances Willard helped uh, set up Northwestern University in Chicago. So I, I just had to go back into history mm. and, and, and read about the women and, of course, people like Deborah and uh, Lydia. Mm. That, that they were my heroes mm. because I just couldn't find any other women around who were like me. So, so having endured some of that challenge and, and pioneered a path that, that wasn't there before you had, had marched it, you had this conviction that God was looking for Christian business people of influence, women um, particularly. W- what do you think is the, the influence that God brings to the world or to the community through Christian business enterprise? Yeah, look, I think that's a really important question and, and I've been wrestling with it. I, I'm now part of the global community of people that have um, part of something we call the faith at work movement. And I guess the first important thing to say is that um, I think if you've, if you've grown up in the Christian community, you often think that those who are celebrated and honoured are those who, who are in full-time Christian work. And we don't often hear the stories of business people. So I, I love this program. I love the fact that we're emphasising people who heard God's call to stay in the industry that mm. they're, they're in. Um, now, I've changed industry 16 times, so I see myself as called to business, mm. not to particular industry. But whenever I'm in an industry, um, I do join the industry association and I do seek to understand what are the things that that industry association, that industry consider important. And then I go back to my Bible and say, what is it that God would say about that uh, sector? So I think in the past, uh, most people have thought that the education sector uh, has been um, quite Christian-oriented. There are Christian schools. Um, the, the value of education, you know, the, the whole education movement has started from Christians. But mm. We would say now there's some pretty fierce debates about mm. where Christianity fits, fits in with current educational systems. But, and hospitals have always traditionally been places that have welcomed um, Christians. Uh, establishments and most of the hospitals in Australia were started by Christian people. So, but again, even that sector now is wrestling with uh, you know issues like euthanasia and abortion, yes. and you know what's the role of the medical profession in these very yes. challenging ethical questions. So, um, I don't know any 
sector that um, can actually uh, flourish without the Christians being there. Mm. Uh, and if you could say, well, we just need a whole lot of pastors to go in there and, and talk to people and provide insight and wisdom. But the reality is a lot of industries, a lot of corporations don't want to invite mm. pastors in. So there has to be people already there who are credible, who mm. are part of that infrastructure that say, look, there's, a, there's another way that we could do this. We don't have to just do it the same old way and, and they can bring prophetic insight. Mm. Um, so I, I am somebody who explores, uh, explores um, the prophetic role of Christian business leaders and mm. that we can speak into our into our areas of influence. That means um, things like you know, your annual conferences. Every industry has an annual conference. So, you know, what are some of the topics? Mm. So wherever I am, whatever industry I'm in, I try to get involved in the annual conferences and try to, um, suggest ways that that sector can uh, become uh, more uh, more human, mm. more willing to see things God's way. Uh, usually, you can't evangelize in those uh, sectors, but you can bring in new insights, and people mm. uh, gradually um, will come around and ask you, "And why do you have the view? Why do you serve the way you do?" And mm. um, so, uh, I, I back in. 2010, I was asked to to go to a meeting in Shanghai of women entrepreneurs, and I really felt that God wanted me to have something to say to the women who uh, who feel very wired to be entrepreneurs, mm. and how God would be wanting to work with them. So, um, I started uh, something called uh, Springboard Enterprises in Australia, which is a premier program for women entrepreneurs, mm. and I also started back in uh, the 90s, the Australian Council of Business Women. So um, I am someone who starts industry groups, um, so um, I started off when I was younger, starting um, social outreach groups, uh, pioneering work for uh, street kids, uh, and I continue to look for ways that I can influence the industries that I'm in. So at the moment, I'm spending a lot of time with women entrepreneurs, mentoring mm. them at um, and also uh, doing some work in, the, in uh, restorative property development. So one of our iconic developments was the uh, the site uh, at the back of Alexandria, which um, had been owned by the Hells Angels. That so was a scene of corruption yeah. and uh, drugs and prostitution and all sorts of crazy things were happening there. And we acquired the site uh, and we've transformed it into a creative centre, childcare centre. So taken what um, had been planned for evil and turned it into good. So it's, uh, it's one of the iconic sites uh, in Alexandria. Um, a lot of people know the, the Cool Cat uh, Cafe called The Ground. So yes. we're right behind that. Yes, right. And it's, um, it, it's in that place where it's a fun place to be. It's an, a wholesome place to be, a place where people want to take their families. And, and so, that's, yeah. That's I a think fantastic that's story, called, Wendy. Called, I, the, the idea yeah. of... of um, Business being redemptive is is a beautiful yeah. thing. I wanted to actually that was um, along the lines of the next question. What I ask you, you, you spoke very um, passionately about the Christian origins of the education sector and the healthcare sector, and the current debates or, or the the divergence from those Christian roots that they're now wrestling with the the threat to that Christian ideal. I wanted to ask you, do you, is that 
is that something that is true of, of all business, that there are the elements of general grace, of, of redemptive possibility in business itself, but that every business wrestles with the, the antithesis of that, the, the, the ungodly aspirations, goals, practices? Is that something you've come up against in the 16 industries you've been part of? Um, look, I think uh, some the service industries um, all generally will affirm the, uh, the value of human life and the dignity and the, the serving people and giving them um, good quality uh, service, like you know being attentive to people's needs and, and and being gracious to people are all qualities that if anybody's in a business where they've got service leaders, that that's the kind of training they get to listen mm. well and to be responsive. So um, those qualities are, are easier. When when uh, when I was in uh, telecoms and manufacturing sector, my husband and I owned our own precision engineering company. Um, there's a book by um, Tim Keller called Every Good Endeavour, mm. and that really has helped me a lot to really think about uh, how do we bring our, our thinking about Christian principles into everything we do. And you know, there are some things that just Getting, like he says, uh, the famous story about the pilot. Should should the pilot announce over the intercom when he welcomes everyone to the plane and say, "Look, I'm a Christian, and mm. wanted you know that you know I'll be flying the plane, and I'm happy to serve you that way." Um, you know, he could stand at the door at the end, and the pilot often does, and you know, say goodbye to everyone, give them a Bible track. Um, but Tim Keller says, you know, one thing that's really important is that he lands the plane well, yes. and. Uh, so, you know, just being excellent yes. at what you do is, uh, I think, is, uh, is a Christian principle because we do it to honour God. We Good. don't do it to become famous and yes. get ourselves in the newspaper and front page news because we're so clever. Yes. But uh, keeping um, our employees focused and, and keeping them productive and enjoying their work and keeping our customers satisfied, now, all the business people that I know, that's something that really gives them huge pleasure. Yeah. And uh, in that film, uh, Chariots of Fire, when uh, the runner says, when I run yes. past, Eric Little said, um, I feel God's pleasure. Yes. Uh, I think that the business people I know, that when they're doing their job well, when they're really in their zone, um, they feel so much pleasure. Yeah. And they see that God is pleased with their work as well. Yeah. So yes, I think there is a role for every business person to ask God, how's how should I do my work? Yeah, good. Uh, to what standard should I do it? That's good. And how should I treat my, my employees and how should I treat my customers? Mm. Wendy, you've been a person that has broken stereotypes. You, you spoke about your, the beginnings of your, your uh, interest in um, business as a field of, of endeavour as being not expected. Uh, the fact that you're a woman that's pioneered the way and, and led success and opportunity for, for other women. There is a stereotype of successful business people that they are all consumed with the business, that it's, it's a thing that occupies their, their mind, their life to the detriment of other parts of living a full life. How have you wrestled with that stereotype or expectation of a successful business person? Yes, so look, it is an interesting question and I think there are seasons. So um, I did my MBA part-time. Anyone who's done an MBA knows it is all-consuming. Um, so um, 
my I, my husband and I have uh, also had 13 foster kids. So um, I had to get up early. Uh, so I did a lot of my study at, uh, at 5 a.m. in the morning uh, when I was doing my journalism degree. Um, we had the foster kids and that was when my husband was doing his MBA. So I was doing my, um, I was doing my uh, journalism studies and, and I went into Macquarie Radio and got in there at 4 a.m. to do the morning news shift. So um, I guess I am privileged that God's given me high energy levels, um, but I never left the church. I've always been part of my local church and um, we've always been volunteering in the church as well because I think that uh, is important uh, that we serve the church. So um, I just, I guess I've just made it a principle mm. and, uh, you know, Stephen Covey's book about um, the seven habits of highly effective people and the big rock, mm. just put the big rock in first mm. and just make sure that you've got room for them. Another one of Covey's principles is sharpen the saw. How, how do you go about doing doing that? Yes. Um, so as a Christian woman where uh, in, in my younger years there weren't many Christian women, um, I had to read a lot, read my Bible, but also read a lot of uh, the industry magazines, uh, all of the, uh, when you're doing an MBA, of course you read all the textbooks. And, and that is, um, because there are parts of the church that say you don't need a very strong university um, degree that you know, just walk by faith. But I am of the view that education is very important. Mm. And I uh, live out of Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Mm. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and heal your heart. And I say to people, it doesn't say have no understanding. Mm. It just says when you've got your understanding, yes. which I take as being your, your academic qualifications yes. and your industry credentials, that you don't lean on them. That's so, well, and I think that's the point you were lead, alluding yes. to, that a lot of business people say, well, you know, of course I'm the smartest person in the room. Because, yeah. because of course I will work this out because I've got all these qualifications. So um, I'm, I'm expecting myself to be uh, the one who solves everything because I've got these uh, credentials. And I would say um, we don't lean on them. So yes. we have them. You have insight. You've got to have the credibility. If you're going to speak to your industry or your corporation, you, you, you can't be naive. You've got to have the language. You've got to have the insight. But you don't lean on it. You don't go in and say, "Look, I'm not going to pray before I go into this meeting because mm. you know I've got this sorted. I know mm. exactly what to say. I've got it all prepared, mm. and I'll just rely on myself." That's every good. meeting I go to, I pray. Mm. Absolutely, every meeting before I send an email, I pray and mm. say, "Am I sending the right email? Have I got the right tone?" That's good. And um, before we had this interview, I prayed. You know, uh, because um, we can do all that on our side, but mm. most of us are communicating with other people, mm. and what we want to do is influence them, and so. Um, it, it, we, we can only really prepare on our side, but the Holy Spirit helps us to prepare so that what we're um, doing for others, with others, yeah. uh, really lands on the spot. Yeah, that's terrific. That's terrific. You, you've reached the pinnacle of success in many people's definitions. How, how do you define success? Um. Well, God has a purpose for each one of us. Um, uh, we haven't talked about my uh, journey in 2011, which was uh, I was diagnosed with a very rare form of cancer and spent um, a lot of uh, 2011 in hospital, the Royal Women's Hospital in uh, Randwick. Um, very rare cancer. The majority of people 
who have this cancer are 18 months old or younger. So I'm actually the oldest person in the world ever to be diagnosed with this form of cancer. Uh, so it was a test case. And uh, and that makes you really think about what your life's about when you, yes. when you get faced with um, potentially um, a death at the end of your treatment. Um, but I was positive because um, God had sent a message to my husband. Um, we went to a healing prayer meeting and, and, and God said that he and your wife will have a long and fruitful life. So I knew that through that, through that whole um, time in hospital, and I did get very, very sick quite a few times, but I knew that like the, watching the movie but knowing how it ends at mm. the end, it, it mm. can be scary in the middle of the movie, but, you know, it's going to end okay. So, you know, success is living a life of great purpose that mm. God has planned out for us and checking in with him, not getting ahead of God, not getting too far behind, but keeping up with him and uh, just... Uh, partnering with God in the things that he wants us to do. Wendy, it's a, it's a lovely um, compliment to you. You've shared very um, insightfully the way God has been with you in the high points of your life and, and has led you to new opportunities and, and new successes. It, it's such a lovely thing to hear also that in that deeply challenging time, the same God was just as close, more close. How, how would you have... Talked about that contrast of experience of the successes and the challenges um, of your, your your treatment. Well, well, I have I have to say that I had a lot of fun because <laughs> um, you know I was in the government hospital and uh, you're not allowed to um, have prayer there. The chaplains are kept in their room and they can only come out if somebody asks them to come, but they can't stop the patients. So uh, because I was there the longest, <laughs> I kind of became the boss of the ward, and I always used to go around and pray for everybody and. Uh, I had these, uh, and I checked out of the private uh, area where I could have had a private room for myself because I realised that uh, because I had a rare cancer, I was in the rare cancer ward, and most of the women who were there um, were from regional Australia where mm. their local hospital didn't have the facilities because mm. we all had these rare cancers, so we need to have specialist attention. And so um, all my friends and visitors that came to see me, I said, now listen, we're all on a prayer team here. Now, you can pray with me for five minutes, but really you need to go and see Mary because she really needs prayer. And so we just had the best time. And and I, uh, I'd welcome people into the ward and I'd say, now, this is the healing zone, this is the faith zone. Now, um, I know you've come in here and you think you're sick, but actually you're going to have the best time and we are going to have so much fun together. And we did. That's amazing, Wendy. Truly amazing. Wendy, we've um, we've just about run out of, of our, our lot of time. Uh, I have considered a real privilege to get to know you through this uh, conversation and it, it's extraordinary to to hear the you're obviously a doer the, the, yeah. your life is <laughs> is littered with these these incidents where you you will make something happen uh, make it happen for yourself make it happen for people around you and and uh, describing your beginnings as something of uh, a social activist uh, I guess m- I'm, what I've heard is that you were an agent, an agent of change, of God's blessing, and the description you're giving of how you conducted yourself in the, in that ward of that hospital, an agent of grace that was bringing the presence of God and the, the power of God into whatever circumstance he happens to place you in. I think that's a fantastic story, a fantastic part that you've been able to say, whether it's in the boardroom, whether it's in an industry, whether it's in your church or whether it's in the situation of, of facing ill health in a hospital. 
that um, God had his hand upon you and has worked through you. Any final reflections that you might uh, want to share with us? Well, I think I'd just say to your listeners that um, that God has got an amazing plan for each one of us and that we are his handiwork, uh, that uh, he's actually made us in his image and, and that's pretty special. So uh, I know there's uh, a lot of people wonder, they get this anxiety, people wonder, you know, what they should be doing with their life. But um, God really does have a plan for our life and mm. he is so good and there is so much fun to be had. Uh, when we partner with God. So I just encourage your listeners to um, get with other people and pray together and see what uh, others are you know, uh, revealing about what they see in you and mm. make sure we keep encouraging each other to, mm. to find the purpose that God has for us. Mm. You've been a wonderful example of somebody who's been up for the adventure of life that God unfolds step by step. Um, uh, it's been great to learn a little bit about that and uh, to learn a bit about you. Wendy Simpson, thank you for your time and may God bless you. Thank you very much and thank you to your listeners and bless them too. Okay, cheerio. 